0: Hello everyone and welcome back to What Would The Smart Party Do? I'm Gaz and with me as usual is my girlfriend Baz, how are you doing Baz? I'm very well thank you mate, it's
1: good to be back we're talking again about games and gaming hooray
0: yeah. We're uh, we're advancing through the year I have noted and why not talk about our characters and how they advance too So a uh, shout out to Pauli from Sweden, he's one of our loyal listeners and he sent in a question around character advancement, he's sort of Spotted a gap in our repertoire that we hadn't talked about this too much just yet. Uh, And he was also interested to know specifically about if you've got a single minded focus on progression, does that get in the way of advancing as a character in terms of the character of the character, if you know what I mean? Yeah. Or that kind of stuff. And I think there's a, a variety of different approaches some games have taken. So it's probably useful for us to kind of like go through some of the different methods there are in role playing games for how a character gets better or advances or even just evolves it might not even be gets better it might just be changes in some way so do you want to take us back being our D&D expert to the classic what happened back in the day when you wanted your character to have more than D4 hit points at first level (laughs)
1: yeah so uh, yeah so character advancement is one of those kind of legacy things isn't it that started with the with the founding fathers of the hobby original D&Ds and all the rest of it and um, has pretty much stayed in the game and in the role playing hobby right across the board ever since I guess we will come on to there are games that have no character advancement at all Mm -hmm. that's an option isn't it but as you say mate it all started with with your D&D and 40 odd years ago the idea of levelling up was only really applicable in a game of Dungeons and Dragons Mm. now of course even Boris Johnson and his entourage of fools (laughs) have decided this is a mainstream phrase and it is a mainstream phrase isn't it levelling up is something that I think pretty much everybody understands what that means that's probably more from video games than it is from Dungeons and Dragons True, but that's where it started so the idea would be that as you went around doing your adventures you would gain experience points or XP and you get enough of those and at various levels you would literally go up a level so you'd go from being a level 1 fighter or fighting man if it was back in the day to level two and at level two you would get some benefits usually some hit points maybe some other bits and pieces very little back in the day hmm. but of course levels would go on forever and you know the basic D with the uh, the basic expert companion masters immortal sets it would take you up to level 36 not many people got there but D was if it was about anything I think there's an argument to say it's about gaining experience points and leveling up your characters. Hmm. Now there was lots of little weirdness to it, and D and D fifth edition that we currently live with is uh, much more kind of smoothed off the edges. It doesn't have different XP charts for different characters. It has the concept of milestone leveling, not quite as a default, but it's it's there instead of you know you're getting an XP for every gold piece you get out of the dragon's Horde and some more XP for killing the bugbear. Um, and in in other games might say that a thief might get XP for every time it picks a lock so things have been smoothed off a bit but the concept is still basically there that if you want to you can start at level 1 and in the current game you go up to level 20 and I guess you retire at that point but it's a progression thing that was built into the game so that your character would develop mechanically
0: Mm. yeah there's a couple of bits I remember from D&D back in the day I think I used to play a lot of the, the basic expert etc. Um, but then I, th- I think it was the ad and I played and I was w- <laughs> awakened to this world where you get XP for gold mm. and there'd be this weird occasion, I don't know, in the Temple of Elemental Evil or something and we found a chest full of 20,000 gold pieces and all of a sudden a little pink went off above my head and I <laughs> rose like two or three levels and got lots of stuff out of nowhere because <laughs> I'd opened this box with some money in it which seemed very weird. But I never really got on with the idea of leveling as you know, just a concept that you have nothing, 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 and then you hit a plateau and all of a sudden it's like ping, you actually stepped up now and now you have these things and then Mm. you do it again. Which is kind of how the new D D works as well. You know, if you get to fifth level, that's like a significant step compared to being third or fourth level, for example, and even before third level that's like your training wheels as we discussed before, until third your proper first level really. So that that feels weird. And the first game I can remember that it's slightly differently was RuneQuest. Mm. Where Steve Perrin, who's sadly passed now, as uh, we found out last week, uh, he mentioned that specifically in his design notes that he wanted to do something so that it wasn't like that; it was a smoother progression. Mm. Uh, and RuneQuest, back in the day, I don't—I'd have to check the the most recent version, but certainly the the original versions had you ticking skills when you used them in a stressful situation, and then you got to make a roll to see whether they increased at the end to see whether you'd learned or not. And curiously, in things like RuneQuest Two. You had stuff like training, which I don't see a lot these days. No. Uh, but you could spend your money and find a guild and learn how to be more dexterous or more strong. And there was even a chance that you'd um, you'd overdo it in training and couldn't do anything for a few weeks because you'd be out because you put your back out or something. And all kinds of like intricate details around that. But I think that's one thing sort of advancement that seems to have disappeared to a degree. Maybe with mm. downtime and stuff, we'll come on to you later. That seems to have come back a little bit, but yeah it was funny for RuneQuest to do it a completely different way but even mentioning things like Calisthenics or getting the Thieves Guild to help you balance on a beam to improve your dexterity seemed like an odd way of doing it but it sort of made sense <laughs> compared to what had come before which was D&D you get some XP and eventually oh, yeah. things happen, You know, it was a more organic progression at least
1: yeah, I mean, D&D is responsible for everything but it's also responsible for some absolute nonsense and I say that as a massive fan of the game leveling is purely especially the D&D style is purely a game element mm. it's, it's not it doesn't happen in the story or the setting you don't really walk around and um, and announce yourself as being a third level ranger I mean you could do that but that would be like a crazy person coming up to you in the street wouldn't it it
0: would be <laughs> very
1: peculiar if the residents of Waterdeep suddenly said what? You're, you're what now? in fact you probably wouldn't even necessarily say you were a ranger so the, the whole game is made out of constructs and the leveling stuff was purely there for game mechanic stuff and and do you know what I kind of admire it for that, and it's it's been really hard to shift that legacy and everyone has tried from Steve Perrin onwards traveller had no real advancement system at all as far as I can remember. you did all of that before you started playing, didn't you yeah
0: um,
1: but levels will not go away, and they're still a really big part of the modern game, I think, and I still play d and d and and when we level up it's still a it's a little frisson it is a little frisson. <laughs> Maybe not much more than that now, because you know getting old at this, but it 's still nice to level up it 's still nice to get some progress, and I think perhaps games of d and d need that leveling up mechanic to stop you getting a little bit you know things could maybe get a bit tedious if you were just pulling the same old stunt every time and you 're doing three or four combats in in, in a session, and mm. it, you you end up being that person who says, "I hit it with my axe, and who wants to do that so you know that leveling up stuff kind of works in d and d but it is surprising how many games outside of d d still have advancement that's quite granular and you're still counting numbers to move up a
0: chart. Yeah, yeah. I think God's Own Game, Earth Dome, was the one that kind of had a halfway house, didn't it? Because mm. you would go around saying, I'm a third circle swordmaster or something. They actually explicitly made that something that happens in the game, as well as being a mechanical construct. But also uh, your circle, which is the equivalent of a level, Just gave you access to new stuff. You still had your sort of like micro advancements where you could spend your legend points to get one better in particular talents or whatever it might be along the Mm way. Uh, So the level wasn't quite that sort of step pyramid of power. You kind of like had a gradual layer of power with a sort of level thing puts like smeared over the top as well, which is an interesting way of doing it.
1: Yeah, that that goes back to your point about RuneQuest with training and what have you. Other games have had training in it too, but that always ends up being hand waved, doesn't it? It Because that's. that's downtime. But it's um it's always interesting to see people try and take something from D&D, like levels, and, and, and put a, a layer of verisimilitude over the top of it, either to make it more realistic or more sort of simulationist-based game. And I guess that's what RuneQuest was doing and still does through basic role-playing, doesn't it? I think it's still the case. I think you're right, guys. I think if you use the skill you tick it and you try to roll uh, above... Your current skill level to see if you can progress in it so it gets gradually harder and harder which you might think is a is a more realistic way of progressing and advancing your capabilities Mm -hmm. but outside of earththorn i'm not sure how many games actually put that level of advancement into their setting and that might be a thing Mm -hmm. that if i were advocating for advancement systems i might look for that so does your character develop, does your character do different things, do they learn new stuff that so they get more capable and is that accommodated from a story perspective because in D&D it's not at all barring a few sort of tier type things but that's purely mechanical where does the advancement come in the story? Earththorn definitely Traveller before you even start playing um, because hmm. you do your character generation, you come out as a 58 year old who can do a lot of stuff and has a massive mortgage <laughs> so, advancement in reverse I'm desperately trying to think of games which tie it into the story D&D does it a little bit and it did it really historically in some kind of weird ways where I think, and I might have the numbers wrong here but if you were a druid once you got to about ninth level or something like that if you wanted to be a 10th level druid you had to go and kill the 10th level druid because there was like, <laughs> it was like a pyramid like was literally a pyramid scheme of <laughs> druids and there's only one allowed above you and if you can off them then you can have their job
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't think a ranger you needed like a, a, a piece of territory big enough to accommodate you it's like you know the uh,
0: the prowling grounds of a puma something like that <laughs> yeah that's interesting I, I guess the stuff the the one that springs to me about like as you advance it, it sort of like shows up in game is perhaps Warhammer it's always had its career progressions and um, mm. it's done slightly different in the 4th edition but Certainly from the, the earlier versions, you started out as a rat catcher, whatever it might be, bone picker, something like that, and you might end up as a judicial champion. Now i I'd, I'd probably said that most people didn't actually take the judicial champion role seriously and spend 90% of their game time doing what they were supposed to be doing. They carried on adventuring and going down rat holes and trying to fight uh, Skaven and stuff. But that does at least give you something in-game about uh, how your character progresses in their job they're supposedly doing or their status mm. and that kind of thing. Um, they had a little bit of it in Rincest, but it kind of it was just a jump that you were either an initiate in a cult, for example, or you were a Rune lord or a Rune priest. Yeah. And they were like the top jobs. Um so it's just one job. But yeah, there's the certain touches of it. I think like Blades in the Dark does a thing with your crew as well, doesn't it, where you advance in tier. It does. Um but tiers aren't necessarily spoken about in game, but you you kind of get a feeling of power level, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um I suppose it'd be a bit like people knowing that Say China and America are at the same sort of level, and maybe the EU is a block. But then, like, perhaps Uzbekistan's not going to be on that power level. So you get an idea of tiers or something, but without saying one's tier one and one's tier four or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So I think there's flavours of it now. It's perhaps not. I don't think anyone's gone as hard as Earthdon, where they said you can go around saying I'm a level seven beastmaster. Mm.
1: And I, and I think that's quite peculiar because I think that was one of Earthdawn's USPs it's not particularly anything to do with the system that I know people have issues with um, but it's definitely something to consider in settings we talk about settings quite a lot don't we but, but wedding your system to your setting is generally seen to be a good thing mm. outside of toolkit games and what have you so games that have settings but also have levels how on earth do they really reconcile those uh, you know you can look at some of the F20 games to see what they're doing with it You've got stuff like Shadow of the Demon Lord, which I think is quite traditional in its approach to XPs and levels. Yeah, um, it has fewer of them, but it's still about going adventuring to get points, which you then put in the league table. <laughs> Thirteenth Age has uh, has a very similar system of leveling, except it breaks it up into smaller increments, so you can like you can take a piece of your level up abilities one at a time as you go. So you just get you get more frequent bennies. Or little benefits but they're smaller and they stack up into chunks it's just a it's another way of like slicing it up and most mm. games that have levels have different ways of slicing it perhaps as we're doing our survey of advancement we could look at some of the things that aren't based around leveling um i mean warhammer has a an element of leveling doesn't it and it has it's like one two three four tiers but as you rightly say, actually, if you just followed the story, everyone would end up being an outlaw, and then an outlaw chief, wouldn't they?
0: <laughs> Realistically. Yeah, or a cultist does. <laughs> yeah.
1: But there are many games that where you would accumulate experience points and then spend them. So I think that's another big tranche of these games, isn't it? So that, so most of the ones that our, our audience will be familiar with are you are given some experience points, you can then trade them in, and you could montage a training system or something like that but generally speaking it would be a little bit of a quick downtime admin activity, spend your 200 experience points and now you're better at punching people.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah for sure. That's where some of the granularity is these days, well perhaps some old games, if you look at Vampire which is similar to how it's always been that you get experience points and then you can spend them on things and the better your ability in something the more expensive it is to put it up. But people will look at spending. So you probably look at spending stuff on the, the weaker stuff first to try and build it up. But that's probably another aspect of it I want to speak about is that like Vampire, the, the current advice in the storyteller bit was that you got one experience point per session played plus one point at the end of each story. And to put up a stat from, say, two to three, with two being human average, uh, cost 15 experience points.
1: Fifteen.
0: So you'd have to do like <laughs> on, the, on the basic advice, you'd have to do like eight sessions to get a dot in one thing, and that's glacially slow. You know, the, the, the fluff around it says, oh, you know, you, you want to advance because you get more abilities, you do kill cool stuff, and the story expands and all this, but then the actual mechanics in place don't support that. It does give an a, a, you know an extra rule saying you could give two points at the end of a session if you want. It's like, still though, that's not very <laughs> it's not very generous to be fair.
1: There are two things about that that make me recoil from it a little bit. Number one is the glacial progress, which is it's a legacy thing, isn't it? And you, the designer of the game, can have that dial set wherever they want it to be for yeah. progression speed. That's definitely a thing, and you can have your opinions. I mean, back in the day, nobody ever got to like sixth level in Advanced Dungeons and Dragons because it would take you years of play to get to that, and it was getting exponentially harder and harder as you went up each level. There's definitely a case that more modern games kind of are much pacier with that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You can do entire 1 to 20 campaigns in Pathfinder over an adventure path. Well, it'll probably get you to level 14, 15, and they give up trying at that point. But that might happen in six months of a character's lifetime, which doesn't seem to jive very well with back in the 70s and 80s, where wizards were literally 200 years old, weren't they, when they were learning their fireball spell so there's one thing that makes me recall is that glacial level because I do want to see some progress as yes, we go along agreed, yeah. the other the other sin is 1 XP like the, the numbers are too low mm-hmm. that's just like that but if, if you told me it's 100 XP for every session and it cost you 100 to put the stat up I'd feel better about it but like <laughs> when the numbers are 1s 2s and 3s it feels like it's hardly worth writing on your character sheet
0: yeah they're too yeah. small it just feels a bit weird Especially when the cast are in double figures, yeah, feels like a weird increment. Yeah, and part of that's probably a hangover from D &D and getting thousands of experience points certain levels and that kind of stuff. But I know what you mean. Yeah, definitely, games are moving more towards if you do hand out XP, uh, chunkier advances. Uh, The the other thing that, like as much as I like free league, and ideally love all this stuff and buy all. that and some of the other vampire games and, and quite a few other games do have this kind of thing where you have the GM says so about your experience mm-hmm. uh, and uh, like even Warhammer has has that kind of experiences performance related and you've got kind of three tiers depending on how the GM thought you did and give you an award. Well, boo, that mm-hmm. can get in the sea. And the trouble with the free league stuff and even like Blade of the Dark, which again I love. It's kind of, you've got a checklist saying, did you do these things? And they allow you to have an experience point. And what I've been doing and, and other people I've played with is just kind of like bending that and giving everybody the same experience mm. and giving people a chunk of stuff. Because I think it's there to drive play. So if you include your background, then you get an experience point. And if you brought in your trauma, then you get an experience point and all that kind of stuff. But if you decent role players, and you like playing the game anyway, you'll do that regardless. And mm-hmm. the people who are rubbish and don't want to do it and just want to turn up and hit it with their axe won't do it for an experience point. They just won't care. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't drive play in that way. I don't think. So I'm much more about giving. I suppose equitable or just equal. Giving everybody the same, uh, which might not be equitable actually, because someone might role play the ass off and get the same as someone who just dialed it in that week. Yeah. But I think for the sake of we're just less adversarial as gems these days compared to how it was explained in the original DMGs and stuff, when it was mm-hmm. telling you that the players needed beating down all that kind of stuff. We're kind of past that, aren't we, I think? I hope so. Shouldn't be mother may I with experience points, or have I ticked enough boxes to get the advance that I want to do something? like As a group, surely you can decide about how fast you want to advance and then give stuff out as a rate that will make that happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's, it's that, you know, there's a lot of psychology about reward systems, and if you use experience points and advancement as a reward system, you have to you have to carry along all of that psychology with it, because even if you outsource it to players, you'll see this a lot in books, won't you? Where they say the whole table has to decide who was the most valuable player that night, so it's not even just on the GM. Hmm. Then it's just like loads of like people looking at each other awkwardly and going, "Well, I I I did you know I did use my last arrow on that demon." Oh yeah, 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 you did actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, and, and then like you know, Gavin will pop up and say, "Well, I haven't, I haven't had that MVP award for weeks now." Yeah, actually, it is your turn, isn't it? And it, the whole thing is even worse when you try and like you know subcontract it out to the whole table. Yeah, I, I just, I'm with you on this one completely, mate. If you start tying the rewards of the game into behaviours at the table, actual player human behaviours, you are on thin ice. <laughs> 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 I'm sure that it was sustainable for a long time back when we had Viking Hat GMs but when you've when you just got mates around the table or around a virtual screen I think advancement and XP can be decoupled and I think a lot of games do that exactly I think the question was about advancement from our loyal listener and we could get into the weeds of XP systems but we could equally just push all of that to the side about how you get your XP I talk about the advancement development of characters over time
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and, and we've been talking about XP because the classic is you get XP which allows your character to advance Yeah, and gets more toys to play with basically. It's just a currency to buy the advancement that's going to happen. Uh, so the mechanism for that getting there has changed. So just to briefly uh, mention as well, there's things like Savage Worlds which used to have that sort of thing. In fact, the very first edition of Savage Worlds uh, did the worst thing with XP where um, you could spend them as bennies in the game to get rerolls or any you saved you got to roll to see whether they're worth XP at the end, mm-hmm. which just drives people not to do cool stuff or spend their bennies and keep hold of them to try and get XP. And then you had to roll a D6 and get a 5 or a 6, or whatever, otherwise it was wasted. It's like just so many layers of this is a waste of time, I can't believe. And thankfully, the most recent edition it just says give an advance out every session. So give mm-hmm. them, basically give the character something new every, every week or however often you play, which I think is a good way of doing it.
1: That spending your XP instead of advancement for an immediate benefit that's that's still present in more than one game isn't it it's like I the, it era still, had yeah. the same
0: sort of stuff and
1: absolutely yeah the original Legend of the Five Rings I, I think had that or all of that stable the original roll and keep games did hmm. like Seventh Sea and it was a weird one at the time wasn't it
0: yeah
1: because you end up and it wasn't you know the legacy was that you back in the day of AD&D you could very well have a party that might have different levels of character within that party You know, the Hobbit might be level 4 and the Warrior the Fighter sorry, might be level 9, maybe not that big a jump but you could absolutely do that and a new character would be expected to come in at level 1 and join that party and they'd yeah. like catch up because they were killing Balrogs but it did seem a bit strange to see that continue all the way through the 90s into the 21st century and to see stuff like Numenera I, I was genuinely, that was an eyebrow raiser to see that still Retained in the book. That seems like such an ancient bit of tech.
0: Mm. Yeah, and it doesn't drive positive, adventurous play. It no, drives the opposite. The opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is very yeah. strange. Uh, so a, a good one to to kind of like started to hop about a little bit, but I don't mind that. Uh, if we look at something like Hot War, which is conflict resolution, and your advancement to your character uh, comes as a result of consequences of conflicts. So it's kind of continu- it's continuous improvement. It's always happening. Mm. And I say continuous improvement, it might be degradation as well. Depending on how you did, you might get consequences thrown at you rather than you get to spend them on something else. But it can be used to like increase stats a little bit. You can give yourself positive traits. You can increase relationships, all these kind of things. And the opposite is true. So you can uh, flip a positive relationship into a bad one if you, if you get enough consequence or turn a positive trait negative or reduce stats and that kind of thing. And I think that's interesting in that that is advancement always gives the, um, as a word, gives the impression of moving forward and getting better, Mm. I guess. Whereas that kind of hot war of advancement, inverted commas, is change to the character, but it's constantly happening. And you can also give negative things to your own character if you decide that as a result of whatever the conflict is that's just happened, your character's now more callous, or perhaps that, you know, that something else that, you think might not be seen totally positively you can apply negative things to your own character as well and put them on the character sheet Uh, because negative traits still give you dice to roll so you don't lose any dice or anything but just gives you more flavor to your character so i think that's a good example of a a different way of doing it where it's not at the end of session it's not about how many points you've got or you know leveling up anything like that it's just constantly every time you have a conflict your character could change both physically Mm. on the sheet and in terms of narratively what's happening to them
1: yeah, and, it, and if I'm right, on Hot War and games of that, there's no avoiding that either. You, you no. can't mitigate it. It's going to happen. You're going to get put into conflicts. You will change as a result of it. Yeah. So yeah. that that forces change upon your character, which, which I'm with you on that one, mate. I think that advancement is perhaps a loaded term. We know what we mean when we say it. I like to see character development, and that can be backwards but instead of forwards at times. Yeah, development's ways, a better word, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Things things have to change, otherwise you're not playing a game at all. Realistically, you're certainly not. If the, if your game has no consequences to the world you're in and to you as a person, it's missing a trick. I think hmm. it, w- it would just lead to I don't know one dimension less in your play. You might yes. go from a three dimensional game to a two dimensional game, and heaven for Fens, you might end up with a one dimensional game if there is never any change to your consequences, because you'd be playing chess at that point, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. So another another example of that kind of mentality would be seen in fate games so fate games are kind of notorious for using adjectives instead of numbers anyway and the same is true of their advancement system or development system so you're not racking up experience points um, you're not even like counting quests completed or anything like that at all but what happens is after every adventure however that is divvied up is up to you Um, you get a chance to to fundamentally change some stuff about yourself. And that will probably be as a result of what happened in the last adventure. So if you've resolved the trouble that you had written on your sheet, and that's not applicable anymore, you're not allowed to just not have trouble. You're going to have trouble. So you can replace it and you can change it for something else. So if you were playing Fate Supers... That would be a prime example where you might have defeated a villain, which might be one of your aspects that you've got like an eternal hatred for the Doomsayer, for example. The Doomsayer is now locked up in Super Prison, and you need a new aspect. Um, so instead of having a blank there, you will change it. And that means that over time, your character will still be the same personality, but it will have a whole different set of triggers and a whole different set of drivers that will drive them into new types of adventures that will build up upon the old ones. Mm. That's the idea. That's the idea. I haven't actually played Fate with one character long enough to see that advancement particularly kick in, because it's a bit of a sort of fave for me for one shots and and small, small section games. Hmm. But I like the idea. Don't know how the application works.
0: Yeah, I think when you've got kind of minor, significant, and major things, haven't you? And, and for the significant ones, you can actually like increase a skill by a point or something, whereas normally it's just changing things around or swapping a couple of skills about or changing aspects or trouble or stuff as you've mentioned um, because the idea I think with Fate is that you're already capable when you start up, like yeah. this is you, your peak you are Captain America or whatever Correct. so yeah. it's not supposed to be that like you start off as a, a young soldier before he gets his serum, you've already had the serum and been training and beating up baddies for ages so that's a I guess that's a different thing that's baked into Fate already that it's not expected you're going to be on the hero's journey whereas mm-hmm. I guess if you're playing D&D you are expected to be the Wide-eyed farm boy or something to a degree, yeah. Maybe not quite that um, prosaic, but somebody quite weak and insignificant, and then you build up to get some of that's expected how the game will go, rather than fate being you're already at your pinnacle, and it's about what changes happen during the story to the character.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, I hate saying this, but it depends. Is going to be the answer to the question we were asked <laughs> by Alistair isn't it? Because here, yeah, Feng Shui is another example of you're already hyper competent at the start. Yes, there is some advancement in there. You can pick up some new tricks and tips along the way. There's even little talent trees. But at at the end of the day, there comes a stage where you just play a different character. You kind of retire your one, don't you? You know, you put your guns in your gym bag and you walk off into the sunset. And then you play another character. It's not really designed for that zero-to-hero effect that classic XP systems are.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, I think... There's other, there's kind of other ways of doing it with um, a deadline on it as well. So if we look at Agamemnon, which I played a lot of last year, for example, advancement in that comes from two directions. In terms of you're constantly striving to win at conflicts, and then your glory goes up, and the most glorious character gets to make sacrifices to the gods every week and that kind of stuff. And there's little in system bits, uh, but as your glory increases, then your name die increases. so You're better at doing things, but equally. As you approach your fate, which could be the end of your character if you fill your fate track, you also get like level ups or you know, extra bonuses for doing that kind of stuff as well. So, whether you succeed or fail a lot, doing either of them is going to um, sort of increase your character. And then it's got extra bits in, like uh, when you've completed an island, a deed or a trophy will be taken from the island that you will carry forward to use in the next island. So, your story kind of gets built upon. Islands by island, as you Mm -hmm. recall things, and like there's actually a mechanical way of saying, Remember what you did last week, how's that going to apply this week to give you a bonus of this action kind of thing? So, that's another way of um, layering up depending on it's not and it's not about a hero's journey in terms of you succeeding or failing, it's about doing either. But your sort of story is going to grow as you go. And the interesting thing, probably, about the game is that it puts a clock on it as well. It says when you've filled this many constellations, depending on the length of campaign you want the journey's over or you hit mm. your fake track your journey's over so that's an interesting one in terms of it's not it's not open-ended it's not I'm just trying to be the biggest hardest person I can be it's about what's what does my journey look like and how does the story build over a number of islands before we know if inevitably it will come to an end and we all have to make new characters yeah so like that kind of time box element and the fact that it doesn't matter whether you're winning or losing it's, it's still progressing towards the end of a journey
1: yeah, and and yeah, without wanting to be all X factor about it, that journey word is the important thing, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. my opinion is that the, the journey of your character is more important than the destination. And I don't even think that your classic D and D style play has necessarily players thinking when I get to level twenty, that'll be the epitome of my character. That'll be the bit I'm looking forward to is getting to level twenty. Well, twenty one, finishing level twenty. Nobody really thinks like that. To go back to the question we had from our listener, I think I think that there is a playstyle where people plan their character arcs,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: that that can be tied into mechanics. So uh, I think the classic for this would have been third edition D and D or three point five certainly, where you would absolutely not be expected to, but it would be completely normal to plot out your character classes over twenty levels and which multi class directions you would take, would you dip into rogue at this level or would you dip into ranger at that level how many levels would you stay there before you went into a prestige class later on Mm -hmm. and you you could have you know you you could have your life path largely plotted out and there were certainly optimizing players who would be very rigid about that and will have worked out that it was a, a real min max way of playing the game to take the most optimal path through the entire player's handbook system to get to level twenty, yeah, I, I think that was a minority of play, but it was definitely a playstyle that people have enjoyed in the past. And maybe it's just that lonely fun, isn't it? Generating mm-hmm. characters is fun, but then taking them forward theoretically through a campaign you might never play to see what would happen at every level up decision. That's quite an, that's quite a nice solitaire exercise in, in some games.
0: Yeah, and I, I think like, our good friend Pete used to do that, and probably still does that now that edition's out with Warhammer all the Bid- time build career paths and work out where he was going to go from being a, a bone picker and how he's was going to end up being an assassin or whatever it was. Mm. I mean loads of lonely fun doing that. And I think that's kind of, um, that's one of the beauties of Warhammer in the way it's set up that you kind of, you can stay on the same career now, but it gives you like four different levels of that career and calls yeah. you different things at each one. It's even yeah. like Echoes of the old D&D where a different level had a different name. See so a mm. thief might be a footpad or a cut purse or what like there's a whole array of and every level gave you a name and that's the sort of like thing you could say to people in game that you were if you wanted to tell people you were a cut yeah. purse, for example. But like fighters all have their like array of names and that kind of stuff. So I like the idea of do of seeing progression in front of you and having that as an option and to plan it out maybe. I worry whether that well don't worry, but one of the concerns might be that you're then trying to tie yourself into a certain path rather yeah. than having it emergent through play and seeing where the campaign takes you and stuff you do and decisions you make. So it's it's just probably worth bearing in mind that if you plan out too much, you might be closing off some branches to you that might just come out through how the campaign goes and those crazy decisions you make when your back's against them all.
1: Yeah, I think that that came up in the question, didn't it? It's, um, can too much advancement uh, I guess put you on too much of a railroad, deny you flexibility in in what's going to happen in the campaign. To which the answer has got to be yes. I mean, Warhammer is definitely the the one for this because it's moved on, and, and you're quite right. There's something that's been addressed in Warhammer 4 for the better. I ran loads of Warhammer back when The Enemy Within was the the hot new ticket, and everybody started off as their rat catchers and their ditch diggers, and you know there was a wizard's apprentice if you were lucky, maybe a donkey skinner, that kind of thing and that was fine because that's supposed to be your background before you start becoming an adventurer that's the day job you've left behind you've gone solo but the career system was still rumbling in the background and as I was joking earlier but it's not really a joke is that actually if you just look at the lifestyle you've adopted you become really outlaws quite quickly and you're roaming about the empire troubleshooting problems dealing with chaos where you can putting down bad guys and disrupting cultists and the career system was was seemed to be made for ordinary people Mm. and you are you are not an ordinary person if you're often doing adventuring there's a game to be played with ordinary people but i'm not sure that was the one Mm. so if you had sat down in warhammer one and decided this is what i'm going to be maybe the judicial champion for example it was ridiculously difficult to do with a published adventure now i'm not sure how well it worked with uh with adventures that were being homebrewed by a GM with that player group who might have back in the mid 80s have said I've got my eyes set on becoming a judicial champion so can we make sure that the, the campaign accommodates like that possibility that seems to me to be very modern thinking I doubt was happening in the 80s I could be wrong on this because that's a more normal thing to do now isn't it where you have your session zero and you might want to include some stuff about what your goals are
0: yeah yeah, I think the, the careers are, I like the careers, but they are handled a little bit. Uh, like, you know, if someone's a toll keeper, presumably there's a road somewhere with a little hut in it they're supposed to be sat at taking <laughs> tolls. They're not supposed to be in the sewers of Middenheim yeah. <laughs> chasing rat augers or being chased by the last hour. There's probably no end of merchants driving past thinking, oh, brilliant. I don't have to pay any tax this week. This mm. is brilliant. Yeah, I don't know. There's, it's good for flavour. But it doesn't quite marry up with the story, does it? You've you kind of That's got right. to turn a blind eye to it and let it just happen, I guess. I suppose the other aspect that that sort of reminds me of is um, Blades in the Dark, which we've mentioned briefly, has a crew sheet. So that the other aspect probably of Antima is that you might have a gang or a pirate crew or whatever it might be, or a starship if you play Star Trek Adventures, for example, that's kind of doing its own advancement as well. And you might have to mm. think about that. But that, that's at least a way of tying you all into the same story or gives another way of the background moving around you without you having to limit what your character does too much. Or it gives you a mm. sense of common share purpose, I guess.
1: Yeah, I, I like those systems. That's why there's one in King of Dungeons. But I really do like those systems because then your development can take place at a party level mm. instead of just one at a time. Because if you all streak off and start working on your own individual careers in whatever game it is you're playing, it's harder to hold you together as a as a cohesive unit. Yeah. Um, when one of you's in charge of the world's biggest law firm and the other one's like uh, looking at subatomic research in a volcano somewhere. And your modern-day game is all of a sudden very, very peculiar and it's all Avengers assemble to get together for tonight's game.
0: <laughs> that's right, yeah.
1: So that's odd. But I do like how Blades in the Dark handles it. And actually, while we're on Blades in the Dark, it's one of my favourite experience systems because... It is one of those rare occasions where it offers experience to drive a behavior, but it does it in a way that doesn't exclude people who who just don't want to step up and do the whole funny accent business. So um, if you take a risky action, um, sorry, not risky action, if you take the next one up from risky, <laughs> desperate action, thank you very much, you get to mark XP. So just doing the sort of stuff that's asked for in the game gets you a mark on your couch there and then as well. It's not at the end of the session or anything else like that. You can mark it up straight away. So by doing stupid stuff, uh, stupidly reckless stuff that's really desperate and putting yourself in trouble, you're gonna start earning those advancement points. And again, weirdly, that's similarly true in fate, but from another angle, I nearly said aspect, where if you start using the fate point economy, you start like taking on the bad stuff. You kind of get the instant experience point of here's a faint point you can use to boost yourself later on in this session. So there's there's that's a kind of reward cycle, could be done on a really micro level in the middle of the game to generate change.
0: Mm. Maybe
1: not permanent change, but change in the game. That's quite a neat way of doing things.
0: And it's just that extra little step away that's that's where Numenera falls down, isn't it? Because mm. there is a kind of economy with that kind of stuff, but because it's also XP, that's what breaks it. If you divorce the two and said we're just going to give you a bucket of XP at the end, and you could get, you know, when you get complications, you get a a point to spend, and later on you can spend the point to help yourself out. Mm. I think that would work fine. Just don't have them be XP. That's that's the issue with it. You, You try to do two different things with the same resource, and they need to be divorced from each other.
1: Yeah, it looks it looks elegant if you're a rules designer, but in play it's just cumbersome. It just doesn't work. So what about then advancement systems in general we could talk about systems all day but advancement as a concept how much advancement is too much or not enough and I know everybody will have their own personal throttle level on this one won't they? assuming you're playing a kind of zero to hero style game how long does it take before you want to have that game done before you get to the peak of your ability are we still playing for the years to get to that or is your what's your personal standard, guys? How much do you like on a session by session or month by month basis?
0: So a lot of things these days, like we've mentioned that Savage World says every session you get in advance. Uh Shadow Deam Law we mentioned, which is level up every session. Those kind of things, like a a a chunk of something happening to your character and then which should drive a bit of story as well as you get more powerful or more abilities so you can do killer things. That's the kind of thing I like. I think we discussed before, play like six to eight week sessions, maybe 10 sessions is a, a longish mm-hmm. campaign for, for me these days anyway. So I want to have done an arc, it might have been the peak of my powers, but you kind of want to get an end of season finale by that point. You want to be at a level, whatever it might be. Your, your gang in Blades of the Dark might now be recognized as someone to be feared or the big players are starting to pay attention to you. So that'd be more trouble for season two when that starts, that kind of thing yeah I think so Like after about if it's 10 weeks or something I'd want to see a significant shift in what we're doing like if we're still doing the same sort of stuff after 10 weeks I would be questioning it certainly in that hero's journey type of adventure like what are we doing why are we still like looking around for missing horses from the stables after 10 sessions mm. that was fine as a starting adventure but now we should be finding a missing prince shouldn't we or something of equal note
1: yeah I think so uh, you, you want momentum Um, and you want forward movement uh, forward movement through the story not necessarily forward movement for your character we've already discussed like you know some jail time is perfectly good development for a character isn't it and he's actually baked into Blades in the Dark quite nicely isn't it you can go off to prison for a bit that's development (laughs) but um, I think yeah something meaningful something meaningful every session if all you're doing is changing your experience point number and you're saving up for something that always feels like a bit of a A dull option, really, Mm -hmm. and I and I get that you might want to do that rather than like you know chipping away at your melee skill or your diplomacy skill over here or increasing a talent from level one to level two, and all that does is give you an extra plus one in your dice or
0: something, five percent chance better or
1: whatever. Yeah, I always feel like you want something meaningful, something new to write down, you know, something to rub out and replace with like you know a a, you know a meaningfully bigger number, Um, and that that's really difficult to to pace isn't it because everyone will have different feelings on that i I hear the word slow burn a lot when it comes to campaigns i get the feeling that people want their stories to have time to organically develop and move along and people to grow into their characters and what have you and if you if you want that kind of game but your game system is saying your character gets fundamentally better at something after every session it might be quite difficult to pull off that pi trick after three, four months of play, mm. so which brings me all back to it depends, I suppose.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and you can always change your own advancement. Like Savage Will says, for example, if you want a slower game, do it to advance every two sessions, or every three sessions, mm. or if you want a fast one, advance halfway through the session. That kind of thing. So, I mean, obviously, the book's only the book, and you as a GM can advance as fast or slow as you want to in terms of the mechanics. One of the tools I think you've got for advancement in the game is reincorporation which we always recommend anyway so it's bringing it's not necessarily like bringing cartoon villains back that will never die but maybe that villain was part of an organization and now someone else is in that villains old job and has sent some spies after you or some assassins or uh, the lich has taken interest because one of its undead minions has been destroyed and it can't feel its power anymore and things should come we could get callbacks to all things that have happened and stuff and I know it's difficult to take notes for some people but what i recommend is taking a leaf out of the pen dragon book and when you get glory awards for that what you're supposed to do is right in the back of character sheet a lot just a one-liner yeah it could be defeated the Polad cat or whatever it is 200 glory or you know rescued samarin from the night terrors 400 glory but what you find happens over your 10 sessions or however many you have is you then have a little log and before each session you can kind of go back and read all the one-liners and that'll give you the path that your character's taken, all the heroic things they've done or the adventures they've mm-hmm. been on or where things went wrong. So it can really be as little as just writing down a one-liner or a short paragraph, a hundred words maybe, let's say, but if you do that every week with your character, you'll see your own advancement and the journey they've been on to be cliched about it, uh, but then give you ideas about what you might want to do. You might look back through that list and think, do you know what? We were defeated by the Dolorous Worm. Perhaps now we should go back to that castle and see if we can sort it out once and for all. I wonder what terror it's wreaking in the countryside now we've left it there for three years. That mm. kind of thing. So as players, you can like drive your own advancement by keeping a log of what you have done and calling back to it and doing reminiscing about it and flashbacks and uh, building upon what you've done previously.
1: Yeah, that's that's a really lovely thing to do. And I mean, Pendragon did it early on as well, didn't it? You know, as with so many things, it got it right for me off. Mm-hmm. Because you look at modern GMing advice now, um, like we had Mike Shea on recently, didn't we? Lazy DM, and one of the things in there is check your characters, which is something that I had never really done enough. You know, from as simple as like, can you just look at the ceiling and remember the names of all the characters in your campaign, <laughs> which is harder than it sounds. But actually going back over their character sheets, if you were to do that and were to flip over all those Ben dragon sheets onto the back where you had that little list of achievements and glory over years of play in, in the setting that would fire off so many scenarios and obviously they would be more directly personal and have a bigger impact on the people at your table than if you were pulling some generic tournament out of a published scenario or whatever yeah. and trying to have your characters you know find their way to your adventure so it, we have talked about systems a lot, and that is a system thing, but it's system tied to setting, and that's where over the course of this conversation, I'm thinking advancements great if it happens to your character, not just to the player,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it happens to your character and the world around them, even better.
0: Yeah, and that was one of the great bits about uh, Earthdawn, for example, when they had Prelude to War, which was uh, like I think it's four, but it's four or five uh, things that happened in the game world and it just gave you a loose thing but your characters were involved and there's a the death of a prince and a war starts and all kinds of things but it gave you frameworks of things that were happening and your characters should probably be involved in that mm. because of all the things they've done previously and become people of note so that's that's another thing you can do as a, as a gm to kind of like make sure that the characters get some advancement is to give them a place in the world have people of importance call them back having met them once don't just say, yo, know, well, well, the king's very glad that you saved his prince, and then you don't see him again, and that's that's it for twenty weeks. Maybe the king now knows about you and thinks, "Well, you managed to save my prince." I've got this other problem going on because the war started with King Galihardis next door, and he called you back. Uh, and as players, you can kind of do that about you can kind of like build relationships with other characters in the setting, or do things like set up your own business. Maybe you start up a, a brewery or something. And hire a couple of people to run it for you while you are away because you've got you're flush with gold from the temple of elemental evil there's no banks to put it in so you buy a business and have that running and then things can happen to your business while you're away or someone might try and take it over and then that leads to other adventures but as players you can kind of invest in the game world which then gives your character status and it gives you something to do as well beyond just going on a random adventure
1: yeah Uh, agreed and and also for the gm Who should be looking at player advancement? Is the GM's going to be advancing their world? Mm. So those people you left in charge of the of your brewery, everybody's advancing. Doesn't as we spoke before, it doesn't mean they're like you know working out in a boxing ring uh, to to try and up their melee skill every evening. Although they could be, (laughs) that sounds like a good idea now. But (laughs) but generally speaking, those baddies, those villains that got dropped into prison, or those towns that you save from the chaos demon cult they're going to be different when you go back. So when you go back at name level and all of a sudden you're the big boss paladin, everything else should have changed around you as well. People will be older, wiser, deader in some senses. You want that sense of change and movement. You want that living world, don't you? Mm. It only matters if you can see it. It's like you know the sound of a tree falling in a forest with some campaigns, isn't it? It should only matter when you visit that town. But you want to take the chance to do that as GM. You want to advance your fronts in an apocalypse world. Yeah. Piece of terminology. Your bits, the bits that you play, which is the rest of the world, you should be kind of giving yourself mental experience points as well every time you run an adventure. What's happening to my signs and portents? What's happening to you know the cult of the black hand? Are they doing anything or are they just sitting there waiting in their room for an up-leveled character to come and beat them up again? Yeah. I doubt they are. You know? Some of the best things about superheroes in role playing is they start off incredibly competent so there's an argument to say it's a very difficult game to show advancement in but what they do is they constantly reincorporate those stories so that Batman is nothing without the Joker for example they're both like in a bit of a, a tussle and an arms race with each other as they have their own developments and they counterpoint each other that's that's kind of advanced stuff to get into a campaign but it's amazing what an xp system can do when you broaden it into the setting
0: yeah for sure and another bit, I mean, it's a bit systemy, but I'll mention it now. I've remembered is Savage Worlds also has um, extras that you can have, like, allies, people that hang around uh, and who have a, like a lower level skill profile that a, a main character would do, so they're easy to, to, to like, keep hold of. And a campaign I played with our good friend Bez, he did that as, uh, I think it was Hellfrost, uh, so we're out basically like trying to reboot a castle that had been taken over by the frost giants and stuff and kick them out and and do stuff and you could get like little extras to level up as well and give them extra skills and things and then it only really took giving them one personality trait each so we just picked a word for each of them like mysterious or lazy or whatever it might be and some would die off getting squashed in these frost giant feet or getting lost in the snow or whatever it might be but others that survived you just kept giving, you added more to and you'd take it in turns to play one of the extras and just not leave it up to them, the gem necessarily but the person to your left would play the mysterious character and one of the characters, in character, would try and work out like, what's your background, what, what are you here for why are you here on the edge of nowhere, fighting for and the gem has no idea about what the mystery is we just know they're mysterious and the player would have to come up with something and before you know it, after a period of weeks we've kind of got the core of the characters who are like the supporting cast there were other half knights that were kind of walking around not doing very much but just by players talking about it and asking questions of each other we kind of got five or six NPCs that we cared about and then that mattered for when you have your next fight with a frost giant and it's like well we don't want Jeff to die because we know Mm -hmm. now that he's searching for his lost wife who's out here somewhere we've got to protect him at all costs and all of a sudden like what used to be a bag of hit points two weeks ago is now like an important character that People have got emotional attachments to in the game, so um, sort of advancing and leveling up the people around you and adding more texture to them is another way of giving your meat to your character as well. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think we, we keep circling back to the, to development, don't we? And change—that's mm. the important thing. And isn't it nice, like you know, when you go off on one of those long walks up a mountain in real life? And it's really, really hard putting one foot in front of the other after a while, but you stop, turn around, and look how far you've come. Hmm. And when you look behind you on a decent character sheet in a decent campaign, it's the advancement, for want of a better term, again, that really fills in those character sheets. It's literally those experience points, those points of experience that you had, where you remember when we did this, you remember when that happened. And that can sometimes be a character death, or it can be like, you know, a, a potentially a negative uh, point in your history, but it's all development. And it isn't necessarily about having bigger muscles or more spells or anything like that. Because even in D&D, that doesn't necessarily give you any more agency in the setting that you're in. A first level fighter has loads of agency against a goblin. And a (laughs) 10th level fighter has loads of agency against a beholder. But, you know, arguably, it's just bigger numbers and bigger beasties, isn't it? Yeah. So what matters is what's going on in the world is there change happening? Are you an agent for change? And are you being changed by the setting you're in? And that might just be the secret of campaign play because clearly this question has been asked about advancement. is not really something we're ever going to see in one shots or short form gaming. It's the essence of campaigning, isn't it? Yeah. I wonder if it's even possible to play satisfying campaigns where there isn't an advancement system that's baked into what you're doing. I mean, Call a Cthulhu, maybe. There is some advancement in that, but it's more of a death spiral of madness. You kind of know how it's going to go.
0: Yeah, I mean, most Cthulhu campaigns, you go through multiple characters, so it's hard then to... True. ...get advancement, because <laughs> <'cause> you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> or in an asylum. And it's hard to grow in those places, certainly in the 1920s. Yeah, uh, I guess... It is, I think you're definitely right, it is, it is down to campaign, you need the space, you need the time for things to develop, and you need breaks in between doing things to think about it, or for it to mature and grow, and percolate away, so that's very true. And I think it, it just behooves the players a little bit to have goals or to decide on things they care about, which you might not know at first level, or when you get your starting character, it might take you six weeks to work out which voice you're using for your character and what they look like and what they want, but that's mm. alright. You've got time in the campaign, haven't you, to kind of build up and, and get a feel for what your character is, and that—that and that in itself is the first part of the advancement, isn't it? It's yes. Going from some numbers on the sheet that you just rolled up to producing something at the table that's week in, week out, roughly the same, and has the same sort of attitudes and approaches problems in a similar way, and mm. you, you get sort of like comfortable with how they react to certain situations and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's a bit of a peculiar. I think this is a bit of a myth. I think there's a there's a, a sense around and the internet's full of myths so i don't know why i bother ever looking at it <laughs> but i've heard it said i've heard it said that players uh are incentivized by experience points and becoming more powerful and in D and D, of that play style that's that's what drives them to keep coming to the game the next week and the next week and the next week i don't buy that i don't think that's correct i have seen i've seen the reverse of that more often than not which is that players don't have drives necessarily at the outset of a campaign sometimes don't even have names for their characters but you know this stuff comes in time but whenever characters and players don't have drives then they're not pushing the game forward themselves they're just reacting to stuff those campaigns usually tend to feel very flat and fizzling and i think experience points and abilities on their own aren't enough to keep a campaign going with any level of depth to it and i don't think those drives which is a it's a slightly different subject but it all goes towards advancement I don't think these drives have to be anything necessarily complicated. There's nothing wrong with having a rogue who wants to be the richest person in the world. There's nothing wrong with a fighter who wants to uh, slay bigger and bigger creatures—giants, dragons, demons, whatever. Nothing wrong with a wizard who wants to have, like you know, the biggest and most powerful wish spell in creation. That's that's all fine. But every single one of those drives means that the character's got something to aim for, and then they're being pulled by the advancement system. Instead of being pushed from behind by experience points, they don't know what to spend them on Mm. because there's no massive investment. You know, improved initiative isn't a story changer if you take that feat with the expenditure of like a level of some experience points or whatever. But building up that brewery, building up that guild, working on creating that spell, that's all the kind
0: of advancement that's going to matter. Yeah. And becoming more powerful and influential in the world gives the ability to increase the scope of what you're doing as well that's one way of making it feel like you're advancing so at at lower levels, for want of a better phrase or newer characters, you might be defending your village against goblins and some weeks later you might be trying to defend a country against an invasion and it's that kind of, the increase in scope it's not just a fighter fighting a goblin or a beholder you can do that on on a macro scale of like what you're actually getting involved with What influence are you going to have on the world and then uh, show consequences for your actions so you have meaningful decisions to make? Do you go to war or do you find a diplomatic solution or do you get some other way that you've thought of as players that perhaps the gym hadn't even considered and try and make that work? Uh, It increases the scope of what your character's asked to do, I think. And Mm -hmm. as you're more comfortable with your character and you achieve more and probably get more enemies as well as allies and things like that, there'll just be bigger and better things you can do and i think that's where some of the story advancement comes from it's the same as if you watch quite a lot of the tv shows like i don't know, the expanse or something like that initially it's about some people in a tin can spaceship and on a one moon base and you know really sort of like kitchen sink problems and three or four series later and you go into to different planets and there's alien stuff happening and wars started and nuclear weapons in the hands of terrorists and all kinds of things mm-hmm. so i think it's um it's partly the world, like you say, hasn't changed. You just don't have to interact with it at a certain level until it's important for the story. That's a bit of the lazy jamming type thing. Agreed. And part of the advancement is moving on to bigger and better and wider-scoped things.
1: Yeah. So um, over the course of the last hour, guys, it's been really interesting to look at systems and to look at the stuff that I think I've been taking for granted quite a lot. You you, you know, experience points. How hard can that be? Advancement. Well, it is, it's there or it isn't but actually over the course of last hour I'm thinking that this is fundamentally world building hmm. and it goes straight back into that at a level I didn't think it would and maybe I shouldn't be surprised because it is one of those role playing USPs isn't it you know when you explain role playing games to people who have no idea what they are and you say that you know the game is perpetual goes on for longer than just one session but one of the USPs is that your characters tend to get better you keep a character, you keep a playing piece from one game to another unlike Monopoly and it gets a little bit better every time and you know that's that was a real that was a real game changer literally a game changer when it hit role playing because then all the other role playing games have had to grapple with what do they do with it but I'm starting to think now that this might be a fundamental because if I look across my collection I don't have many games I can enjoy long term that don't feature some kind of development mm. it might be systemized, but uh, and it often will be systemized. But if it is something like, for example, Fate, where really it's just moving some stuff around on the character sheet rather than you know, developing it into new areas, I'm less likely to get that kind of deep, rich experience from it.
0: Yes. Yeah. That, that's one of the reasons Fate's not for me, is it feels a bit static. And you, as you say, you can move aspects around and change what your trouble is, and you can, you can do things like that, but it just doesn't feel, when you're already at peak, and you, it's just a story about it feels like a static story all the same even though things are happening, characters coming out and re- relationships might blossom or not and that kind of stuff, it just doesn't feel dramatic enough for me, mm-hmm. I feel like I want to see a, a bigger change in scope than that I kind of recall back to I think it's Companion D&D where uh, you got a, a blank hex map more or less and you had to put on your castle all the players got a castle each or a bit of area and you've, mm-hmm. like, you like might little squares and that was great, there wasn't a massive amount in the books that I remember that actually supported it, because it still came down to fighting things, because it's D&D. But the, just the idea of that, that at some point you're not fighters going down dungeons anymore, but you've now got some land look after and people in villages that were looking to you for protection and that kind of stuff. It felt like worth having a different D&D book. like Basic yeah. and Expert were just like, one was slightly more complicated than the next, really, with better powers, but Companion was the first time and I thought, like, oh this is the way of playing a role-playing game, but with different goals like something completely different happening Well, i in I mean, charge of some lands in the, in the world i can influence that and that was you know however old i was 10 or young teens or something that that suddenly felt like magical mm.
1: yeah and, and that stuff is still a thing you know the idea of strongholds and henchmen and all of that kind of stuff still exists in D, and it's moved into other areas as well now like all of those free league games well, they will often have a kind of a base-building element to them. Yeah, I love all experience. That. Yeah. So that's quite... You get that early on as well, don't you? Mm-hmm. And um, and then if you want to go like the Free League version of Old School, be Forbidden Lands, which is very much about exploration and finding somewhere to put down your roots and building your castles, your keeps, or your wizards' towers. So you're right, mate. That, that magic that we had when we were teenagers, there's still a big, thick vein of that running through our favourite games, isn't there?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and it's even in some of the, the newer games, stuff like Apocalypse World. Well, does that count as new anymore? I don't know. But in that, you have a hard one. 20 hold. years old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's got all the stuff about fronts and threats and stuff, but you, you have a base. That's like part of it. And mm-hmm. how the relationships of your characters and the NPCs all interact around that and react to the threats. Um, that could be plugged straight into a DD game or whatever else you want to play. And should be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Have we answered the question? If we go back to our loyal listeners.
0: I think we have. We've answered it in many different ways. I'm I'm sure Paulie from Sweden will write in again if he's unsatisfied with this answer. But uh, yeah, hopefully hopefully he and the rest of our uh, glorious patrons and loyal listeners uh, are satisfied. So thanks very much, Paulie, for the question. And of course, anybody else who wants to write in with uh, topic suggestions or things that you want us to go through, we do get a steady flow, but it's always good to get more. And of course... Our patrons get top picking when it comes to topics uh, because without your support dear patrons we wouldn't have this show.
1: Absolutely right and as usual whenever we record these things I always say the same thing which is that we are currently diligently working away with the editing kobolds uh, we're down in the in the content mines uh, seeking out new veins of awe and lore to put in your happy patron which is our little zini uh, miniature magazine that we send out digitally to all of our patrons, no matter what your backing level, you get a nice copy of that. We should drop into your inbox at or about the end of every month. So we're in high summer now. And we're getting it towards the end of August and we're hoping to bring you the summer special in just a week or so. Uh, but we are always, always interested in new material and it's your chance, of course. You send us some stuff, we're more than more than happy to publish it. It'd be a great in for anybody who wants to get some of their writing in front of other people's eyes. So let us know if you want us to pop something in the Happy Patron for you. And come sign up at uh, patreon.com forward slash the smart party. Yes,
0: yes indeed. Well worth your time and investment. And of course if you've got something that's not a topic, if you've just got a Deirdre question or a, a quick one, uh, a quickfire round question you want to ask us, let us know and we'll drop that in the Happy Patron as well. And uh, we're always glad to engage. So catch us on the social medias. Uh, see us at conventions. With any luck this year, we'll be back at Dragomeet for a seminar. That's currently in the works of getting Mm. lined up, so you can come and press the flash and hear us just speak in person.
1: Could do with topics for that, couldn't we?
0: Yes. Otherwise, you'll just have to put up with whatever we come up with, as usual. (laughs) So thanks for listening, everybody, once again. And with any luck, we'll either see you at Alberta Wizard Staff Furnace, Dragomeet, this whole brand-new future we've got of the developing and advancing convention scene in 2021.